Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us for another episode um, of innovative, provocative, interesting conversation, typically around um, issues and, and, and things that deal with fatherhood. But sometimes we like to do shows that inform fathers. And so because fathers engage in activities, just like everyone else does, they have to receive information that may not be directly di- directly connected to being a dad, but it's just information um, that they need. But today, because today is Christmas, um, I thought that we would have some conversations, particularly since the vast majority of fathers that we work with are African-American, to really talk about this thing called Kwanzaa. And so, which begins tomorrow and for the seven days past Christmas, um, mostly African-Americans will be celebrating um, the tradition of Kwanzaa. My guest today is the culture queen. She is an award-winning teaching artist, children's museum author, and arts manager who creates empowering entertainment for children. She is the founder of Culture Kingdom Kids LLC, where since 2010, Culture Queen has produced innovative Black history-themed children's performances, festivals, and professional development programs at schools, libraries, restaurants, malls, theaters, and museums across the country, including the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture and the Reginald Lewis Museum of African American History and Culture. Her children's album, Like Me, I See, released in 2013, along with her 2019 children's book by the same title, is all the right notes for families and educators bringing up confidence, culturally aware, and curious children. How you doing? I know her government name. We ain't gonna call her by her government name, not unless she wants to be identified by her okay. government I'm name. Culture Queen. Um, this is the Culture Queen. How are you today? I'm good. You guys know me as Culture Queen, and Kenneth always calls me Culture Queen, but I'm family to him. His his they, his family is my family, so they know me as Jess as well. <laughs> Just so, Jess. We'll we'll call you by what name do they write on your check? All of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's important to have a trademark. Um, <laughs> you can start with Culture Queen for today. That's cool. Cool, cool. And so I, I first met Jessica in um, 2013, I believe it was, on a trip to Ghana, Africa. Um, it was, I believe, our first time. It was the first time for both of us um, yeah. going to Africa. Um, and I know that that trip... Um, impart, inspired and impacted us both, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives. Um, mm-hmm. But her energy um, that she brought to that trip and the, and, and the beginnings of who she is now 
I believe, you know, found this foundation, you know, in the in the sands of Mother Africa um, is all inspiring for me. And I've told her since I met her and I continue to speak truth to her spirit that I see so much more for her. I see so much more in the work that she's doing. I could just see her, you know, on television and on cable and internationally, and I still see it. And so um, I believe it to be true and I believe it is going to happen. But Jessica, for you, talk about that particular trip and how that trip inspired you to begin the work that you're doing now, or at least to continue because you had already started. Yes, we yeah, totally had already started. Um, but I think that trip is always going to be a milestone or highlight. And when you look at the, the timeline of, of my life, um, doing the work that I do with children, that will definitely be a milestone because there were so many important people on that trip. It wasn't just that we went to Africa, it's who we took with us and who we met along the way and who we stayed in contact with when we came back. And Kenneth is one of those people um, that I stayed in contact with uh, when we came back. Just about, you know, everybody, we, 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 we were on a trip with Nikki Giovanni. We were on a trip with Kwame Alexander who, or, who organized the trip. We were on the trip with many um, authors, illustrators, speakers. Um, of course, we were on a trip with the Queen Mother, who was, we went to her, um, her village, the Conco village, um, and supported the children in her village there. So we were on a trip with so many people that are culture kings and queens in their own right. And I remember... Um, two things about, there's a lot of stuff to remember about going to Ghana, but there's three things that I think I'll, I'll always remember. Number one, when we were flying down, uh, descending, I guess, uh, down, the first thing I noticed on the plane was how big Africa was. I already knew that it was huge, but just seeing it from on the top of the world, you know, seeing how beautiful and big and red the earth was, I think was really important. Um, because uh, it was just beautiful and it took my breath away. The second thing I remember is the smell when I got off the plane. It smelled like your favorite incense from your favorite <laughs> uh, cultural store. It was like that incense smell that, you know, you smell when you go to like a Sankofa bookstore or any of those festivals, cultural festivals that we love to go to. That's how it smelled all the time. And it was just a warming smell to me. And the last thing that I remember, other than all the cultural trips that we went on, seeing the monuments, seeing Adinkra symbols everywhere. Um, okay, I'm gonna get a little silly here. <laughs> if I had to, to write a book, like I'm trying to, I'm writing a new book about um, all the Adinkra symbols that I saw. We saw Adinkra symbols everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the Adinkra symbols are the West African symbols that, um, they all have different special meanings. And in Ghana, the thing I love about it is that they're everywhere. They're stamped on the bread, on the toast. They're, you know, <laughs> on the, the, the lawn chairs. It's in the, on the gates and, and intertwined in the iron. It's everywhere. And then the monuments. We have beautiful monuments in America, but you, until you have seen the Kwame Nkrumah monument or the W.E.B. Du Bois monument and all the other monuments, how they honor their heroes and their presidents and things like that. You haven't seen a monument until you've gone to Ghana. 
And we and we did eat like lobster like every night, even though it took like <laughs> three hours. There's no such thing as fast food in Ghana. So if you're hungry, hope you brought some trail mix. So, <laughs> but yes, I remember so many things, but those are some of the things that I always remember because we had such a bonding time on that trip and you hear a lot of positive things about like now it's popular to go to Africa. It's, it's mm-hmm. in vogue. But when we went, I remember when we were fundraising for our trip, people had questions. Why are you going there? Are you going to be safe? All that. And what they didn't understand was honestly, Africa is so much better than America. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much more beautiful. It has so much more history and, um, I'm proud to, to say that we are African-American and that that's a place that we can call our own just like we call America our own. And I think that's what, when we think about celebrating something like Kwanzaa, we get to honor both sides of who we are. We are Africans living in America. We are African-American. We can go to the beautiful continent of Africa and make sure that our children know that they come from kings and queens and we can still celebrate all of the rich history that we have here in America as Black Americans as well. Yeah, one of my fondest memories um, from that trip and then subsequent trips, but definitely that one in particular. For me, it was the bus rides. For me, it was the in-between going to places. It wasn't once we got to places. It was the both collective and individual in-depth conversations that we all had with each other that just deepened our relationship in ways that has never happened before in my life and hasn't happened since. Just being able to, because I think that that trip Um, although it was um, a knowledge awakening, um, there was also a spiritual awakening that happened. And the cool thing about that trip is I think that on those bus rides is where that transformation began to happen for all of us, where we began to tell stories about our past lives, right? And we were talking about where we came from. And then we had conversations about the work that we were currently doing. And then we kind of transitioned and we were having conversations about what we aspired to do and what we wanted to do. And so there was a deep, deep um, spiritual awakening that I know happened for each and every one of us there. What was the thing that was said to you? uh, You remember either hearing or someone saying to you that really sparked a fire in your spirit? Um, Well, the first thing is I'm, listening to you speak and remembering that actually this year, 2022, or going into 2023 makes the 10th year mm-hmm. of us. So it's been 10 years since we went and I can look back and looking at, you know, looking on social media or just not even looking on social media, looking at all the friends that we've stayed in contact with, looking at what we're doing, everything that we said we were gonna do on that trip when we got back or that we were in the process of doing, We've either either done it or exceeded it. I remember when I was on that trip, I had a full-time job um, working for Kaiser Permanente's educational theater program. I had Culture Kingdom. I was doing that at the same time. And my goal was to do it full-time. And I wanted to be an author. I wanted to be a children's book author, children's musician. I was already doing it, but I was working on the next thing. I wanted to have a TV show on YouTube. I wanted to direct children's festivals that focused on Black history. 
I wanted to work for museums. I was doing those things, but when we came back from Africa, it was like we got serious about making sure that we could do it. But then, so we, we came back from Africa and I, we left in September, came back in October. By January, I had left my job and was launching Culture Kingdom full time. Um, and you and I actually got to, I got to spend uh, New Year's Eve with your family that, that New Year's. You mm-hmm. know, I came down to Atlanta, which was important to me because we were talking, we met and had a whole brainstorming session during the week of Kwanzaa about how we were going to launch this show. And you connected me with your one of your amazing videographer friends, Ali, who helped me to put together the launching of um, my first music video that ended up becoming the release of my children's music album. And you were there for me at the release of the album. At the, you gave me some coaching on how to work better with with uh, work better with people so that when I'm trying to achieve my dreams that people want to work with you. Like, you know, so you think about, I can't really think about one thing, but what I think I did was I, I observed people's grind. I observed people's hustle. I observed people making their dreams come true no matter what was happening. And why is that important? We went to a very important festival, which was like the thing I was the most excited about, which was the Durba festivals of Kings and Queens. And anybody knows me as culture queen, I'm fascinated by African Kings and Queens specifically. Now here we are at a festival where there's, it's just swarming with Kings and Queens from many different villages. And they are, it's like their Super Bowl. They are looking fabulous. They are giving you all the fanfare. And we were around them just like I'm talking to you right now. So I remember feeling like this is where we're supposed to be. And then I also remember feeling like we need to keep this feeling that we had in Africa and Ghana. We need to take that back and keep that feeling going. And so I think to answer your question, what we've been doing for the past 10 years is kind of keeping the promise that we made to ourselves on those bus trips at the dinner table when we were waiting on our food (laughs) (laughs) at all the times that we were planning. So, so we were on that trip, we were learning, but we were also planning. And 10 years later, I could look back and say that everybody's doing what they said that they were going to do. They've exceeded it. And now I think it's time for us to figure out what's next because sometimes you stay on a goal And once my mom always says one and done or two and through, what's bigger than, because at that time, what we imagined was the biggest thing we thought we'd ever do. And at this point, we've exceeded those things. Mm -hmm. Those, you know, we've exceeded it. Black excellence, the world is caught up with the things that we were talking about 10 years ago. Now, Juneteenth is popular. You can get Juneteenth decorations at Walmart. That was not happening 10 years ago. You can buy African clothes. You know, we were going over to that trip and bringing our spending money so we could buy all these clothes that now you can find in your everyday stores. You know, all of the stuff that virtual programming, Kenneth was, was a, um, a trailblazer in virtual programming. And now that's the way of the world. So now that we've done those things, I would say... Whatever it is that we did, I think it's time for us to think about what's the next thing 
that we're going to do because we were trailblazing 10 years ago and we were doing that on a continent that's been trailblazing for centuries. Absolutely. You know, I'm actually going back this year, taking a couple of friends who wanted to go and I've decided that I actually, it's time to go back. Did not even think about the that, that next year would be the 10th anniversary. So that's gonna be special, you know, for me going back because it, it would be 10 years since I've gone there before. You know, and in the midst of that, one of the greatest privileges that I had in going in the times that I went is I also had the chance to take my then 16 year old daughter um, with mm-hmm. me that totally inspired and changed her life. And so when I look at her, um, that was 2016 when I took her. She is just on fire entrepreneurially um, yeah. and culturally. And I know that that trip to Africa had a profound impact on her. You mentioned something about, you know, how society now looks at the culture of, of Africa, you know, in the midst of being African-American. And, and one of the strange things that has happened for me over the last 10 years is my perspective on how I see black people and how I interpret black people and how black people's spirits settle in my soul and how I can see the beauty of Africa, even in our culture now, but at the same time, I can see the dysfunction and what the disruption of our culture has done to us in our country. So when I see things that are going on now, I can see both. I can see the beauty of who we are, but I can also see how the disruption of our culture has damaged us and traumatized us in a way that it's very difficult to make those connections between um, what we believe is our American culture and what is our African culture. It's a really interesting thing to kind of to watch when you're looking at things like um, you know, some time ago, um, Kyrie, and you're looking at Kanye, and you're looking at folks who are trying, or at least attempting to be conscious woke, right? And they are lost woke, they're not found woke, they're not grounded woke, they're just kind of grasping at elements of what they believe to be truth and trying to make sense out of it, but not really making the sense that needs to be made made out of it. And I think that was one thing that happened for me um, in Africa that now I just see us through a different lens. Um, Have you seen, um, when you look at Black folks here in America now, um, did Africa have an impact on how you see us now as opposed to how you saw us 10 years ago? I, I flip it a little bit. So when we went to Ghana, the first thing I noticed was that there are so many people. I kept running into people that were strangers on the street that looked like people back home. Mm. So every time we would be like in a like shopping or, or going on a cultural tour or just, you know, going from place to place, I kept seeing, especially guys, I would say, that looked like guys back home. And I think that's really important because a lot of times. Um, you know, now people are, because of things like Black Panther and, and many other movies, The Woman King, all of these wonderful movies that are coming out, people are embracing their African sense of selves. People are going on many trips back and forth to Africa. It's in vogue. And I'm happy that it's in vogue. I wish it was in vogue um, sooner, 
but I have to say, I have to choose. Would I rather, you know, is it better late than never? You know, but I remember seeing so many people that look like people we knew, but then it'd be like, I walk up to the guy like, hey, it's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Davon. And it's not Davon, it's Kwame. Right. Or Jabari, you know what I'm saying? But you look just alike. And that was that was um another another thing I noticed. In America, we have the luxury of window shopping. So I can go into a store, look around, try on the outfits, and don't buy it. When we were in, when we were in Ghana, I don't know if you remember this, you know. They everybody's very serious about, you know, they have to, to make their quotas. They need to sell whatever it is that they're selling because that's their livelihood. And so we I looked at a book bag or something. It was like a kente cloth book bag. And I was like, this is cute. All right. And then I said, I think I might get it. When I went upstairs, I fell asleep. I came back downstairs hours later the next morning. And there was a um man down in our lobby that had said, you said you were going to buy this. Mm, yes, I remember that. So, like, we, that's one thing. I learned about how to advocate for myself and to, to have put some boundaries around, like, no, you know, but then also to respect the idea that, hey, you don't just, you need to take seriously someone's livelihood. Like, if you think you might buy it, you have this luxury of looking, but not everybody has that luxury. On the flip side, um, I would say, see, I've always, I was raised to think of our people as kings and queens. Even when we're not acting like it, Kanye West, I still know that he just hasn't had maybe the right mentors. You know, his mother passed away and he's lost. Sometimes when people don't understand their African sense of self or they don't, they don't um, identify with it, instead of like judging them for it, I just understand that they just don't have all the information. And so I try, what I try to do with Culture Kingdom Kids is make learning about their connection to Africa, Kwanzaa, whatever it may be, Black history, so fun, so exciting, so enticing. So I try to kind of, um, engage them and entice them to want to learn about it and to help figure out the connections. Because when I was growing up, especially when I was in college, there would be these old, I'd say the elders, if you didn't believe in the history and the culture the way they did, they would shun you and make you feel like, you know, you weren't smart enough or cultural enough or in the words now we have woke enough. And I didn't like that. Because I felt like, well, the only way to learn something is to try. And if someone doesn't learn it, as a teacher, if someone's not connecting to something, it's my job. It's my responsibility to try to do what I can to make it interesting to them. I, can, I can't force them to learn it. So, but I can try to make it as engaging as possible. And so that's what I try to do. So I don't really, it, when, when I get disappointed that someone's maybe not carrying themselves like a king or queen or they're not understanding or honoring their culture, yes, I get disappointed. But I also understand that maybe they haven't necessarily had the experiences. They could have all the money in the world and not have the experiences. For example, your daughter, I'm just going to, this is I am dad, so I'm going back to, to fatherhood modeling. You know, you took your daughter to, um, to Ghana 
you you set her up for success. Not only did you take her, but you documented the experience and set her up with her own documentary. You know, she had models of entrepreneurship from very little. She had models of, of um, documenting her history and her culture, very little, and access to great equipment as well. <laughs> but, you know, um, she had exposure. You gave her exposure. Um, that's the most important thing I think that a parent can give their child. It's not the newest technology, even unless that technology is going to help them to, to do something that does expose them. It's not the, the gift card. It's the time, which is what my parents gave me, spending time and also exposure to things that are like yourself and beyond yourself. And then you kind of let Nzinga find her own path. She's an amazing entrepreneur. Is she a filmmaker just like her dad? sometimes, but she has her own thing that she's doing and you support her in that just like she supported you. I think those are the things when we talk about Africa, it's the resilience. So you ask me that word, what is something in the conversation? Resilience. Our country, our, uh, uh, Ghana, or I'll just say the continent of Africa has been completely, everything has been stolen, everything. And everything has been taken and people have claimed it to be their own. Yet when we went there, we were in, I, I think, the most high-tech um, place that I've seen in my lifetime. And I haven't been everywhere, so I think there's other places for me to see. But it was a royal place. And I think other people need to see it because I can't really tell you about it, but I can, I can show you better than I can tell you. So I, I encourage everyone to take a trip to somewhere on the, on the continent of Africa. I think Ghana is very accessible, a really great first place to go. And mm. I think you should go there maybe before you go to some of the other countries, um, just because it, it's, I'm a little partial because that's where we went. We had a great time, but I, I, I definitely think that exposure is, is what helps people. Sorry for my long answer. <laughs> no, nah, that's, that's um, great context. <laughs> Um, and it actually leads right into where I want to go because I want to talk to you about the work that you're doing now um, as Culture Queen um, and the importance of doing culturally relevant work, particularly for our children. I think what we miss, um, we're moving into Kwanzaa tomorrow. And I think that, you know, I can remember, I believe it was in the 80s when I first learned about Kwanzaa. I think that's when I first learned about what it was and 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 what it was trying to accomplish and I think that you know as a people we were kind of caught up into this whole conversation about whether or not it's a real holiday or not like that was the most disturbing conversation about Kwanzaa um, that I've heard since and I think people still kind of you know not as much but still resist it as a holiday because it's not a federal holiday. Right. Um, knowing that most cultures have cultural holidays, you don't have to have the federal government sanction um, what you celebrate um, in your culture. But since then, what I've come to appreciate about Kwanzaa is Kwanzaa for me is more than a tradition to celebrate during the holiday season but more of a framework for a principle-based cultural living experience throughout the year. 
right? Because much of what you were just talking about could align itself with many of the principles of Kwanzaa. And if we just focus more on the principles that Kwanzaa is trying to highlight, we would understand how much Kwanzaa is a part of our everyday life, not just the 26th yeah. through the first of the year. Talk to me a little bit about Kwanzaa. Tell folks who, you know, in the back row who don't know what it is, what it is, and then its relevance to our culture today. Yes. So Kwanzaa is um, a holiday, an African-American holiday, cultural festival celebration that was created in 1966 by Dr. Milana Karinga a Baltimore native. And I think I have to say that because I now live in Baltimore. Um, I'm reporting to you live from my home in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, it was created in California, uh, but its roots are in the reason, some people ask, why is it the day after Christmas? Is it trying to be a black Christmas? Let's go ahead and deal with that, right? Kwanzaa is in December because when Dr. Karinga was thinking about how, like, how do we find a celebration that merges? He was inspired by a lot of African um, cultural traditions, many different ones, and a lot of the harvest festivals. See, Kwanzaa means first fruits of the harvest. A lot of the cultural festivals were happening in December. And so he decided um, to create this I would say it's African-inspired because it's not an African holiday. It's an African-American holiday. It was created in the United States. And I think that's very important and very special because um, there are many holidays in, Black holidays in the um, United States, but we don't know about all of them. Kwanzaa is just one of them. Uh, Black, there's Black Love Day that happens on February 13th or Coma Day. There's Juneteenth, which is, you know, one of the oldest. And there's like a whole bunch of, I have a whole book about, uh, I didn't write it, but I should write one. But there is a book that I have that has a catalog of Black people holidays. Kwanzaa, I think, brings it all together. Seven days, seven principles. And these principles, like you say, are a framework for, I think Black people do need, we all need a framework. Jewish people have a framework. Uh, 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 our Indian brothers and sisters have a framework and met Greek people, all cultures have a framework for how their culture has a, how they connect to who they are so that they don't forget where they come from. And I think that black people definitely need a framework and Kwanzaa, is it perfect? No, but I think it's a place that you start. And from there, the other beautiful thing about Kwanzaa is that because it's not a religious holiday, you can be Christian and celebrate Kwanzaa. You can be Muslim and celebrate Kwanzaa. You can be Buddhist and celebrate Kwanzaa. I know Black Buddhists, Muslim, Christian, all kinds of people that atheists. I know all kinds of people to celebrate Kwanzaa because it's not a religious holiday and they're not locked into, oh, it has to be this certain way. There are seven days, seven principles. Um, unity, Umoja is the first day. December 26th, December 27th is Kujijakalia, self-determination, which we all need. Ujima is the third day, which is collective work and responsibility. Then Ujama, which is one of my favorite ones, cooperative economics. This is where you support our Black businesses, keep the money in our community. Then you have Nia, which is purpose, which is something that we all strive for and, and, and need. And then you get into one of my other favorite principles, Kaumba, creativity. And then the last day is faith, Imani. Um, 
which is on New Year's Day. And all of these principles I feel are universal. Um, I strive to celebrate them all. And I honestly, I'll tell you, I tried to spend a year once trying to, one time trying to do all the principles. It's not as easy as you think to only support Black businesses, or it's not, it's not easy, but it can be done. But what I learned from celebrating Kwanzaa every single day is that it does connect me to my culture. It does make me feel royal. It helps me to understand where I come from, where I can go, and all the wonderful trailblazers that came before me in my family and outside of my family that did it, that means I can do it too. If you notice here, um, it's Christmas today, and um, my family celebrates Christmas. We love Christmas. And that's okay, because Jesus is Black, and it's his birthday. And I love a birthday party. So we celebrate Christmas. And then on December 26th, through the rest of the year, not just January 1st, we celebrate Kwanzaa. And, um, you know, it's, I, I remember, I know this is going to sound a little controversial, but I'm going to say this. Um, there's some, you asked me about an inspirational quote, and I know that this person is not necessarily everyone's favorite person, but I'm going to say this, and I hope this doesn't offend so I remember, um, I grew up watching the Cosby show and I remember people saying, um, you know, they, people asked Bill Cosby when he was creating the show, uh, how it was a black show, but nobody really said it was a black show. How did people know it was black? He said it was in the art that was on the walls. It was in the people that were brought to the house, the special guests. It was, the, the spirit of unity with the family. It was how the, the, you know, Claire and Cliff Huxable helped their children to have self-determination and how they honored their elders. I love that show. I love the different world. That's how I grew up. Those are the things that inspired me to, to how to create the life I did. And so when I got my own house, I was like, my blacknesses and how I, I express myself, the art that's on the walls, you know? the people mm -hmm. that I invite and the friends that I keep and how we keep our culture going together. It, and Kwanzaa, the other thing that I want people to know about it, especially for our children, is that it's fun. It is so much fun to shop and celebrate Black-owned businesses. It's something else. It's something when you give your money to a Black-owned business and you get something that they made and you make a relationship with the owner. And now every time you go to buy this product or service or something, you know that you're making sure that our uh, financial health as a community is, is strong. Um, and finally, the last thing I'll say about Kwanzaa is um, a lot of people, I'm just thinking of myths that I've always had to like uh, demystify. Um, some people ask, they said to us, like, you know, the founder of Kwanzaa, um, uh, there's been some history about him to say that he's not such a great person. And this is what I will say. I've met the founder of Kwanzaa uh, several times. I've written plays about Kwanzaa. He's aware of all the work that I'm doing, educating children about Kwanzaa. And this is what I'll say. Nobody is perfect. Everybody has the good and bad sides of them. I choose to celebrate the fact that we are blessed to have a founder of a holiday that is accessible by email. Let's think of all the holidays in the world. 
Christmas, Easter, Halloween. Do you know the founder of Halloween? Do you know the founder of, I don't know, come up with another holiday? Father's Day. Father's Day. You might be able to look it up, but can you email them and know the history that was in this century? We are very lucky to be a part of, I guess, just the time that we were born, that we can interface with someone who was bold enough to create a holiday for our people. And that to me, good or bad, ugly, is very special. And it actually inspires me. And I, I challenge everyone else who's listening today, don't let Kwanzaa to be the last holiday that Black people create. Create your own holiday and celebrate it. And you don't have to wait for the government to sanction it to, even though it's like on many calendars, it has a stamp. It, I mean, you can get Kwanzaa decorations everywhere. I remember when um, we first started celebrating Kwanzaa almost 30 years ago, we had to go wait. You need a black candle for Kwanzaa. It's the middle candle. So we had to wait for Halloween to get the black candle. So you had to like, you couldn't just go to the store and get some stuff. You got to get the black candle on Halloween. You can get the red and green candles around Christmas, but like the Kwanzaa decorations are not something that you can, at the time, you couldn't just go to the store and get. Now, things are so much more, it's, it's, it's a great time to start celebrating Black holidays because everything is so much more accessible. So much more accessible. So um, I would say start your own holidays, use Kwanzaa as a framework for how to be a better person, intermix it up with all the other religious things that you might or might not celebrate. And um, if anything, encourage your children to learn about something that's going to give them a connection to themselves. And um, make sure when you go to Kwanzaa celebrations that you're going to the ones that are fun. There's serious moments to Kwanzaa, but I want you to figure out how much fun you can have with it because it's the joy, the Black joy in any holiday that you celebrate. It's the joy that keeps you celebrating. You know, even if it's something sad, like this year, the woman who got me celebrating Kwanzaa, the woman who got me celebrating Kwanzaa, um, her name is uh, Pat Jackson. She passed away this year. And so this Kwanzaa is going to be a little different because every year we would go to her house and she would have this big Kwanzaa celebration, like 200 people. Anybody in the world can come to this Kwanzaa celebration. And she passed away this year. And so it's going to be a little sad because now she's an ancestor. And we always pour libations for ancestors and honor them at the beginning of Kwanzaa. I just never thought I would, I mean, I, I guess this the circle of life, but I just never thought we would get to a Kwanzaa celebration that she wasn't at, but she poured so much into me and everyone else. And she modeled Kwanzaa throughout the year that, you know, um, the holiday has so much more meaning now as I get older and as our ancestors start passing away that I know that um, I have a responsibility to keep it on to keep it going and to keep making it as fun. Like at this point, I'm 38. When I started Culture Kingdom, I was 24, 25. At this point, now I'm at the age where it's my responsibility as the auntie that's pulling the children in and making sure, like I did it when I was younger, but now I have a responsibility to do it because the people who did that for me are starting to not be here anymore. Mm. So. That is how I'm feeling this Kwanzaa. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, one thing I wanted to say, 
um, as you were talking about um, Bill Cosby um, and even, um, you know, as you talked about Kwanzaa, you know, one of the things that I know is wis wisdom is not confined um, to righteousness. And so you can find wisdom in anything. Um, it really doesn't matter, um, good or bad, is how you interpret it and how you use it for good um, that makes it what it is. But you can find wisdom, you know, through anything. And so um, I don't think there's anything to apologize for when we're talking yeah. about aspects of um, Bill Cosby's life or Dr. Kringer's life or anybody else's life who has stumbling um, blocks, stumbling points in their lives. Um, that that doesn't dismiss the brilliance of who they are um, and what they bring to the space that was good for the culture itself. Yeah. Um, not to you know um, you know condone any of the other things that took right. place in this person. Not condone, but, but you know, as the scripture says, who among us, right? And so you know, if 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 if, if we want to go there, then let's yeah. go all the way there. Don't right? Because then because everybody because. That's the thing. Everybody, uh, you, myself, we we have to be careful with um, actually this whole can I, cancel culture is 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 a is a huge thing right now, and and I understand it and I respect it. But one thing about Kwanzaa is that we're celebrating our blackness, our black men and our black women. This is the I Am Dead podcast, so I, I think this is important to say. Our men. Our black men are our national treasure, and we have to continue to uplift our black men. Um, and when we stumble and fall, um, we're not condoning those things. But Kwanzaa is a time to celebrate. Kwanzaa is a time to celebrate the good things that we've done all year and throughout the year and to remind us, most important to remind us as we go into the new year, how we can reconnect with our unity, our mm -hmm. self-determination, our collective work responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. And the last thing I'll say is I talked to you about making fun, making Kwanzaa fun. So last year, a friend of mine uh, in the children's music industry, his name is Fuch. He's a Black history uh, social justice teaching artist. And he and I do very similar work with children um, and he and I created the Kwanzaa slide, which is a dance. Uh, it, it's it's, it's uh, inspired by the electric slide. We created the Kwanzaa slide because, you know, we got the Cupid shuffle. You know, we got all our African-American dances. And so we created the Kwanzaa slide. And um, it last year, you know, went viral. And, you know, Kwanzaa's coming back up again. And so you can look up the music video, the Kwanzaa slide. And if you want to learn about the principles, we baked the principles into the song and made it really catchy and rhyme, but then also created a dance to it so that when you're with your family this year, if you want to celebrate Kwanzaa and you're not sure where to start, you can start with the Kwanzaa slide. I've got my authentic Kwanzaa um, table and all of the artifacts and things there. And we're teaching you about the, the history of Kwanzaa and the principles, and then also teaching you the dance at the same time. So that's, you know, that's my lane. That's how I model how to make Kwanzaa fun and to keep it going. And, you know, that's something that, you know, you can do, it's accessible. And then from there, you know, 
Just make sure I got one request when you celebrate Kwanzaa this year. As you see in Kenner's backdrop, there's three red candles, one black candle, three green candles. Get your Kwanzaa Kanara set. It's seven days. Uh, celebrate every day just for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, it means first fruits. This is a time where you can have, you know, all your fruits on the table, all your, your, your produce. Um, you can read all your Black books. Uh, support Black uh, authors and, and um, you know, support Black businesses. It's fun. It really is fun. And, and it's... Um, it's seven days, so <laughs> it's like a marathon. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> brace yourself. Cause by the time you get to the seventh day, you're like, whoa, child, you know, like Christmas is one day, but you know, people start celebrating Christmas in like October. But <laughs> with mm-hmm. Kwanzaa, you can mm-hmm. brace yourself cause you can celebrate, celebrate throughout the year. Yeah, but you know, the cool thing is like, you know, when we talk about our culture and we encourage folks, particularly of our culture to know their culture, um, it's important to know thyself. It doesn't mean that you can't know anything else or you can't read the, the works of other cultures and understand and even engage in other cultures. But the most important aspect of, of understanding other cultures is knowing your own culture, knowing yeah. who you are and I, how. I don't, I, that's the thing. So that's what I don't understand. I don't understand how someone would want to not have a cultural sense of self. Like you can choose to go in a different direction, but you got to know where you come from first. And so that's one of the Adinkra symbols, Sankofa. It says it's a bird. It's looking back. It's a bird that has its neck turned back and it has an egg in its mouth. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of the most common Adinkra symbols that you'll see. We saw it in Ghana a whole lot. And it's like, you can see it in the jewelry, you can see it in the, the kente cloth, you can see it everywhere, but it's like, you can't know where you come, where you're going unless you know where you come from. And the bird has, it's looking back at the past, but it has an egg in its mouth and the egg represents the future. And yeah, I'm cool if people decide to go in a different direction. I can't really judge that, but at least know the truth of who you are. Do that research, do that, that, you know, do it and don't let someone tell you who you are. Do the research on your own. Like when you're a kid, you know, kind of people tell you who you are. And what Kwanzaa allows you to do is to learn it for yourself. And then from there, if you decide you want to do something else, I can't judge you for that. But I want you to at least know yourself and make sure that when you're sharing who that is with others, that you're historically accurate. And I think a lot of times you can't look at what's in the school books or what's on the mainstream media to find out who you are because um, Black people are never going to be celebrated and honored in the way because, we, because we're just so unstoppable. There's so much hateration to <laughs> being Black. So you have to make sure you know it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Know for yourself and, and, and um, be proud of who you are. Like, here's the thing. Knowing about my Black history and culture makes me feel like a tower of royal power. That's what I always tell the children. You're a tower of royal power. And it's not like, oh, I think I'm better than or something like that. But it's, I have a lot of great people who have demonstrated to me, specifically starting with our history in Africa, resilience. They've demonstrated to me that I can be the best person that I'm supposed to be and that I have a purpose and that I'm here to serve 
and do great things. And by doing that, I'm not only uplifting our race and carrying us on into the next generation, but I'm making it better for ourselves. In Kwanzaa, we celebrate that at home and with the community. That's the other thing. Just like all these kids have had to be homeschooled during the pandemic, I was happy that that happened because your parents are your first teachers. And learning about your culture, that starts at home. And that's who you should be learning from, your family. And then your teachers too. So I think this year, if you're at home, if you're not, you know, you can learn these things at home and fill your, his, your home with Black children's books by Black children's book authors. And there's so many toys and games and uh, dolls. And you can see them now. Like I saw all the Black Panther toys and Target. I saw um, <laughs> some Black Panther body wash and hair, beard or like, they got all kinds of stuff. It may not all be made by Black people. You know, hopefully try to do the research and see can you do the Black-owned businesses. But it's a great time to learn about your culture. Because like I said, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you had to really search and know where to find this stuff. And now that it's been accepted by mainstream, it's an easier entry point to doing so. And I used to be mad about it. Like, man, we didn't have it this easy when we were trying. But actually, better, like... My friend Fuchs said to me about something. He said, just a better late than never. Yeah, you know, for me, it is, um, you know, I've always been a collector of Black Santa Clauses. Yeah, yeah, um, you sure have. I remember, like, the struggle. I have to go to an expo. I was in New York. I'd have to go to an expo in D.C. or Detroit, you know, to find someone who was making anything that looked anything similar to Black Santa Clauses. Now, you know, in our house, uh, our, our cups got black Santa Clauses on them. I the do. I got them too. The, the things on the case. We found a black Santa Claus in a fire truck climbing up the fire truck into the tree. We got a black Santa Claus coming out the chimney. We got a black Santa Claus riding a motorcycle. We got he, they, our house is full it's, of black Santa Claus. I saw black black Santa Claus uh, shower curtain and even like pot like listen even pottery barn. I have a black mm, pottery barn has a black Santa Claus tea set. I had to buy it because it was just it was so cute. <laughs> but um like oh here's the other thing, um black Santa Claus was black. So the history of uh. There's a beautiful movie on YouTube. I don't know if you can find it on TV, but it has Flex Alexander. And it's about um, Santa Claus. Uh, I'm, I don't want to give you all the wrong history, but let me tell you what I know. Basically, um, there's a European country. Let me say this very generally so I don't mess it up. There's a European country where the, the uh, history of Santa Claus first started. And um, Santa Claus... Uh, I believe his name was Black Pete, was the name of Santa Claus's, um, I'll say helper, but really Black Pete was the one doing the work, as usual. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you go in history, the Black person was doing the work. And uh, so when you think of Santa Claus, um, know that our history and culture, it doesn't matter what you do, our history and culture is tied in everything. Look up Black Pink. Look up Black Pete. There's a movie about it. And um, I think it was like a Hallmark or a Lifetime movie. I'm not sure. But Flex Alexander plays the character. And it is based off 
of the history of, um, you know, it's, it's a Santa Claus movie, but it's about Black, um, about, you know, African-American, <laughs> contrib- African contribution to, uh, to Christmas. And, you know, like I said, Jesus is Black, so that's our holiday, too. We can celebrate everything. Celebrate everything. <laughs> I'm going to find all these links and I'm going to put them on our website so people can actually go to our website to so you don't have to choose talk over the place that's the biggest part going. listen um you are incredible I always tell you this um I can't wait to see you ascend ascend and ascend um I want you to give folks uh, all of your contact information, where they can find you, how they can get in touch with you. And I also want you to know that I need to bring you back and I want to bring you back periodically because I really want to begin to start digging into conversations around um, how fathers can play a role in culturally educating their children. Um, what does that education look like? You know, um, how do we play a role in making our culture exciting for our children so that they want to know more about it? What does that look like? And how can they even engage in the act of educating our children? Uh, one of the most beautiful things that has happened to me in the relationship that I've had, that I have and that created with all of those original folks that we went to Africa with, because we were with so many authors, I just think that somehow God just took that and put it in all of us. And we all just went away and just started writing. I've had- We all got a book. Everybody's got a- Children's book. got a book, right. Yeah, and I got a graphics novel. Then I'm getting ready to drop early part of next year that I'm actually going to release in Ghana. And so my graphics novel, I'm going to release in Ghana called Kwesi and the Ogre. And so, um, you know, getting um, dads in particular, um, black men more specifically to write children's stories, to write stories about who they are and what they know and our cultural background so that children have a perspective of how men think about certain things. And it don't always have to be about fatherhood. So many, so many black fathers want to write children's books about fatherhood. It's like, write a book about cooking uh, potato salad, something else, you know, give them so that they can begin to see us in other aspects of our lives. But let's give everybody all of your contact information so that they know how to get in touch with you and to find out more about your work. Okay, cool. Well, quick tip, just quick, easy Kwanzaa tip for this year. Um, teach your kids the Kwanzaa slide. The best way that parents can um, uh, be the best way for their parents is to model. So modeling, modeling the way is the best way that you can be a leader. Modeling the way. And if you're new to celebrating Kwanzaa, I want you to know that you don't have to know, you don't have to be an expert in order to celebrate Kwanzaa with your children. Learn together. Say, hey guys, I want to try something new. And when your children see you try something new and they see you learning, then that will encourage them to learn. Um, so that's number one. That's the easiest accessible way. Um, you can watch the Quanta slide on YouTube or you can watch it on culturekingdomkids.com, which is my website, culturekingdomkids.com. My Instagram is, under, is at culturequeen underscore official. I just got a new Instagram. So at culture queen underscore official and um you can see what i'm doing over there and if you like uh if you 
on my website, culturekingdomkids.com, I have many, many videos to teach about many different things that are about children and Black history, because that's what I love to do. And so in self-empowerment, I have a children's book called I Like the Me I See and an album by the same, children's album by the same, um, same title. And also another thing that you could do is I was just a part of a Grammy nominated children's album. The first uh, Grammy nominated children's album that featured all black children's musicians. And it's called the one part, I'm a part of the One Tribe Collective. And we have an album called All One Tribe that has 26 black children's music artists. And if you love my music, then you'll love theirs too. And so that's another way that we celebrated all the Kwanzaa principles. We released that on Juneteenth of 2021. So many different things, many different ways that you can celebrate Kwanzaa this year. And one of the ways I encourage is that you learn about Black children's music artists. I'm not the only one of them. And if you can encourage them by bringing them to your schools and going to see their shows, that's another way that you can, you know, really take your child to a concert to see some Black children's music because that music is age appropriate. That's what they should be listening to at the different ages that they are. And it's what we call family music. It's music that you can listen to together. So um, those are all the ways that you can find me. And I want you to have a happy holiday, happy Kwanzaa. Um, and I want to celebrate you, Kenneth, for uh, all that you... He, see, the thing about Kenneth that I admire about him that's really ex inspiring me, like I said, it's not just one thing, it's his consistency. Since I first met him when we went to Africa, to Ghana, and now 10 years later, he has been consistently producing media content for Black families and other people who want to know about how to be a good parent. And I believe that that consistency or steadfastness, steadfastness is really important because that's how you become dependable. And so I just want to celebrate you for your steadfastness and your consistency. That is a king quality or a, a royal power quality that you have that um, I want to celebrate. And, and it, it's, it's inspiring me today to get on the good foot. <laughs> <laughs> Go do something, you know? Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Tell your hubby I said, what's up? Um, tell your mom I said, what's up? And I know I owe your dad a phone call. I love your dad. He, um, like, it's, it's so cool with him because randomly, every once in a while, He'll either email me or text me and he'll just say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Hope all is well. Don't He's always after work. Um, and, and his wife, and so that's the thing. Like, I don't talk to Kenneth all the time, even though we became friends work, but first, but Kenneth's wife, Tracy, is like my BFF. She and I talk in the mornings all the time. And she's I, I don't know. I, I should she y'all should really have a show show called Tracy Fix My Life because she's always giving me, you know, wise counsel, uh, Christianly counsel about how to just do right business counsel. She is, she is truly, um, things that came out of that trip. She wasn't on our trip to Africa, but she's been in my life ever since. And this family right here is just a dynamic family. And so thank you for all that you poured into me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. As um, I can't remember who says, Justin always says this to me, the best is yet to come. 
Amen. Yet to come. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to I Am That podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Our guest today, the culture queen. Um, and you can find her as the oh, as the young folks say today, Googler. Googler. You'll find her all over the place. She is doing some incredible work. If you're doing some programming in your area and you're looking for someone to come out and do some work with your kids, I endorse this. I, I approve of her message, as the as the politicos would say today, right? And so, but make sure you go to our website, IamDadPodcast.com, for all of the links that we discussed today. Um, and until next Sunday, I think next Sunday will be our New Year's Eve show. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to be talking about on that day. You'll probably just be listening to me because I'll probably have a whole full message I want to give about moving into the new year. But be that as it may, make sure you go to our website at IamDadPodcast.com um, for this and all of our previous shows this year. Um, this show actually ends our first season. Uh, we actually were able to create 22 episodes this season consistently every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And so we're looking forward to season two. Uh, we got some already great guests lined up for season two um, that I can't, I can't wait for you guys to hear um, their subject matter. Um, but again, thank you so much for supporting I Am Dad podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. I'll see you next Sunday at 8 a.m. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.